from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Chapter 19 That day and the next were like a dream to Carl. He wandered around the villa grounds, hand in hand with Anne. Sometimes they talked, but often they spent hours without passing a word. It was as if they had no need to speak to understand what the other was thinking. The sun was hot, the days gloriously clear, and they spent every waking minute together. Lissau was at the villa only rarely, and he never intruded. He seemed, in fact, Pleased that they were preoccupied with each other. <laughs> Fucking cuck. Anyway, welcome to. Welcome oh, no, to... You, gotta, you gotta do it again. <laughs> welcome you gotta, to. You gotta do it again. I'm not doing that again. That's a great take. <laughs> no, you gotta, welcome to. You gotta do it again. For Christ's sake. Uh, my name is Hugh. Your name is Hunter. And I just read an excerpt yeah, you need to of do Michael Crichton's second published novel, Scratch One, uh, which he released under the name of John Lang. Do you really want me to do that again? That was funny. It's funny that I, I made that uh, quip you about having a you, you would make me. Uh, you would make me do it again. So not if it was that funny. Like if you made a great quip at the end, I got the words out and I added like a little bit of flavor. Mm, but you're fucking laughing. So that's a, if you had done the quip without a laugh, I'd be like, okay. But I think the laugh made it funnier. No, the laugh killed it. Because like I already came up honestly, I don't, I'll, I'll, I, I don't care. True confession. I, I came up with the quip. You, I, I came up with the quip while I was reading in bed. I was like, I'm definitely going to say that at the end of this quote. Yo, and I remembered gonna... that I had that joke while I was reading it, and that made me laugh. So I, I'm not gonna. That's my confession. I'm not gonna uh, say does it make it funnier or not funny. I don't really care about that. What I do care about is that it's not fitting with our style that we've established. Maybe this this exchange will stay in. Also, you know, it's like a peek behind the scenes. Mm. How about I read it now again? No, or just no, the last no, sentence. no, it's fine. You, you, can, you can break precedent. You can ruin the podcast. That's fine. I don't care. Hi, guys. I'm Hunter, and we're joined by our signature snacks and drinks. I got a, a blood orange screwdriver here and a bag of uh, salt and vinegar potato chips. What do you got with you? Uh, I've got my usual bowl of hard pretzels mm-hmm. and um, a tiny, tiny, tiny modicum of blood red port. Mm. Wow, that's fun. I guess I don't really need to qualify modicum. It's already small, isn't it? But anyway. Bottoms up. I'm going to tipple that a bit. Mm. Tipple it down. Not bad. Can I have a potato chip real quick?
goes the gun, a man falls, scratch one, bad prose, good fun, hot sex, scratch one. Alright, so let's dive into this chapter. Um, do you want me to uh, recap the, uh, the book up to this point? Yes, please. Alrighty. So, we got this dude named uh, Roger Carr, who uh-huh. is a doctor. He's a lawyer, actually. <laughs> and he is... He, he come home to France. Um, he's come to France. And why has he come to France? Well, he's working for a governor, and he's looking to secure this governor of Villa. He has been mistaken for a... Um, American assassin, Assassione, named Morgan, who has kind of disappeared from this book altogether. Yep. Kind of weirdly. He was left in London after his flight was delayed, and then he never showed up anywhere. We never heard from him again. Yeah, I'm sure that'll come in at the end, and he'll kill everyone. That's my prediction. No, he'll come in on the last page and say, hey guys, what did I miss? <laughs> and that'll be oh, the last God. the last line. <laughs> no, it's going to be like this. I'm predicting it right now. It's that... You know they're gonna be—he's gonna be in some crucial position, right? Mm-hmm. Like LaSalle's got him, and he's gonna die, and then Morgan's gonna come in and kill him, and they'll be like, "Who are you?" And he'll be like, "Ah!" That'll be the end of the book. Then he and Anne will get off together. But anyway, uh, so speaking of Anne, Anne uh, Crittenden—is that right? Crittenden, yes. Uh, is a dancer, come LaSalle girlfriend, come Aussie, who. Um, uh, Carr has fallen head over heels, which is kind of a rarity for him because he's kind of a womanizer. That's right. And uh, sort of the third uh, side of this triangle is uh, Dr. Lee Sal, who is a nefarious French uh, surgeon slash terrorist, I guess, head of a criminal organization called the Associates, whom are looking to uh, disrupt a cell of arms from a Scandinavian country. I believe it to be Norway, to Israel, uh, for reasons that are ill-defined. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does this uh, by employing a big, ugly, pug-faced German by the name of Brower, mm-hmm. who is... Huh? I'm just congratulating you on getting his name right once. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Um, I lost my train of thought. Who are you? Uh, Brower. Oh, so about Brower, he's like an ex-Nazi or something. I don't really remember. And uh, I don't think he was a Nazi, as far as I know. I mean, he's German and he's bad, so I guess he's a yeah. Nazi. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, well, he's, he's bad in two ways in that. Uh, he's good at, or he's supposed to be good at killing. And you do see him kill a couple of people in this book. Uh, but he's very bad at capturing Roger Carr. So maybe he's an expert at killing, but terrible at anything else. Hmm, that's a distinct possibility. And he hasn't tried to kill Carr as far as we know. No, so that's why he's been so incompetent. He's a specialist. So uh, the reason we Sal was initially interested in Carr is that he assumed that he was this uh, assassin. Yes. Um, but now it's been revealed that he hasn't. Pretty much everyone in the book has distinguished Morgan and Carr as two different people. Yep. But uh, there's like one other, there's some other major characters. There's a guy named Gorman who uh, runs an embassy. You know, it's just, I don't know, he, he's, a, he's a therapist. That's like a, the joke with him. 
Uh, yeah, and where we left off immediately is that uh, Anne had tricked Carr into coming to LaSalle's compound. And uh, Carr had uh, underwent an interrogation that turned out fine. And the man that he was trying to uh, purchase the villa from had been murdered as a traitor. And now he's sort of trapped on LaSalle's compound, which is called Le Scapel, or in uh, English, the scaffold, the escalator. Um, and, uh, yeah, just sort of hanging out there. Anne's also there, kind of having sex. They've fallen in love. Um, that's about it. <laughs> that's also about it for this chapter, am I right? <laughs> it's a pretty brisk one, as chapters go. Um, but there, there are a few things I think we can uh, pick out here. Not least that, uh, concluding sentence to the opening paragraph that I couldn't read without laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a loser. Um, which is uh, the suggestion that, that Lissau was pleased by his former girl slash current girl getting off with um, Carr. So we, we rejoin Carr and Anne as they just hang about the villa having fun. Well, if you were, uh, you know, trapped in a beautiful French villa with, um, uh, you know, a beautiful gal who's the light of your eye and whom, you know, you might even think about marrying one day, wouldn't you be happy, Hugh? Me probably not. Um, I, I quite enjoyed the fact that he just um, resigns himself to it so easily. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, buy, I didn't buy it though. It just felt like time wasting to me. Well, yeah. The the reason it's narrated is time wasting, but the idea that he just uh, resigns himself to it, I quite, I quite enjoyed. The the purpose that it played, which is yeah, just to to stretch out this book even further, kind of undermine whatever good vibe may have come from this because you know it's it's very quickly interrupted. So I was like, okay, whatever. Obviously, the state is not going to last. Um, so I think we can enter straight into a segment of... Uh, riding and proud. Come on, let's hear it right about now. Feel crying out loud. Anne seemed to him continuously and radiantly beautiful. He was constantly surprised at the naturalness of her beauty. He could do nothing to lessen it, to disarrange it. He once tried. He rumpled her hair, scrubbed off her makeup, and made her put on some, some of his clothes. That's the quote. He's kind of a nutcase, I think, Mr. Carr. Yeah, he seems like a real misogynist. Most, if not all, of this chapter is dedicated to the unique brand of banter that uh, Mr. Lang has created for these two characters. Uh, which I find to be utterly charmless and uh, insufferable. I agree. Let's quote a passage. Roger Carr was awakened on the first morning of the third day by the smell of hot coffee and something tickling in his chin. Anne was leaning over him, swinging her hair back and forth across his face. The sun streamed into the room, and she looked bright, fresh, and very excited. I have a problem, she said, pouring him coffee. She was dressed in a pair of brief shorts, a white sleeveless jersey, and sandals. You don't look like you have a problem. I do. What are you going to name the first child? That's a hell of a question to ask a man first thing in the morning. 
He hesitated. You don't mean... No, no, I was just wondering. I don't have any idea. He got up and stumbled off to the bathroom. Grouchy in the morning, she said, watching him go. He walked back, saw her folded in a chair, holding her coffee cup. He, su- he felt suddenly happy. How were rehearsals last night? All right. Are you always so mean when you get up? I can't think until I press my teeth, he explained. I had no idea. Shave, too. How extraordinary. Alone, he said and shut the bathroom door. She opened it later as he was shaving. He smelled the coffee in the bedroom outside. She leaned against the door, folded her arms across her chest, and watched him draw the razor across his face. Immediately he cut himself on the chin, always the toughest part, and and stuck his jaw forward toward the mirror, trying to see the extent of the damage. You're responsible, he said. Why? Driving me out of bed at this ungodly hour. No wonder I'm not awake. He finished shaving, washed the lather off his face, and came out of the bedroom. She sat on the bed as he picked up his coffee. Nell, he said. What? The first child, Nell. We could call her Death Nell for short. Death Nell Carr? I don't like that one. How about Hubert? Nah. If it was a girl, we could call her Coma. Coma Carr. Not bad at all. I prefer Carthenoma. <laughs> now there's a name. She repeated it to herself. Perfect. And for a boy, Hubert Tort Carr. Too abrupt. Linden Tort Carr, maybe. But even that isn't very good. Everett Corrugated Carr. Better. Horace Porous Carr. Definitely. They stopped and sipped the coffee. Am I gonna marry you? <laughs> Carr asked. I don't know. Am I gonna accept? Ever since I was a kid, Carr said, I've had a great deal of great fear of being rejected for anything. Jobs, the Crodden football team, the Winter Cotillion, anything at all. He watched her carefully, but she was concentrating on her coffee cup. I just thought I'd tell you, he said. Finally, Anne said, Marriage is something you have to take a chance with. I suppose. He suddenly wished he hadn't brought it up. I feel like we could stop there. It's very close to the end of the chapter. <laughs> so we can very quickly narrate what happens next, uh, which is a car pulls up in, in the drive. It's Lissau's Ferrari. Um, he beckons Anne over from the window, or he beckons to her window and she leaves uh, and goes to meet him. And then she returns to car. She doesn't seem as happy as she was before. And uh, he asks, what's the matter? She says, Lissau, he just gave me my plane ticket. He's taking me with him to Hong Kong. Dun, dun, dun. That's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the chapter. Goodbye. Goodbye.